Let us pray. Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that the same word may be written on our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing us in, in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Last month, I celebrated my one-year anniversary of my ordination as an Anglican deacon. And as part of my reflection on this first year of ministry, is that better? Okay. Um, I watched the video of my ordination with Bishop uh, Neil Labar and, and many clergy. And one of the things I noticed as I watched it was how uncomfortable I was. I could not get comfortable because I had so much back pain. If many of you understand back pain. <laughs> and there came a point when I really couldn't kneel anymore and Father Robert leaned down and whispered, would you like a chair? And I must say that sitting in a chair when I was supposed to be kneeling or even prostrate on the floor in ordination just didn't seem right. And so instead, Father Robert helped me to get situated, sitting on, on the kneeling cushion at the rail and hanging on for dear life to the communion rail. Now, some of you may have been here for my ordination. You may have noticed that. Um, it's not exactly what I envisioned for my ordination. And I certainly, but I will say that I certainly felt that utter dependence on the grace of God as I entered into ministry. Uh, another beautiful aspect of the ordination was the support of so many in the body of Christ. And God does create us to walk in community, doesn't he? This Christmas Day, I'd like to focus on two ideas or aspects of our scripture readings. Number one is our identification with Jesus in his humility, suffering, and grief as he chose to come and dwell with us in all of our brokenness and suffering. Number two is where we find our joy and hope, especially in the midst of struggles and suffering. And as we go to our family gatherings today and gift giving and festivities and the joy of this day, let us consider the fragility and precarity of life and how and why the God of the universe who created everything visible and invisible entered into our broken world and willingly wrapped himself in all the fragility and brokenness of our lives. It's remarkable when we look at so many Bible stories where we see powerful ministry and miracles through people who are weak and broken. So I'd like us to consider just what Jesus embraced in human flesh when he was incarnate and came to earth as a fragile, vulnerable human baby. Now, I think we all wrestle at times with feelings like our brokenness, our sinful ways, our hearts that are so prone to wander, separate us from God. I know sometimes I wonder, how can the God of the universe draw near to me and still love me when I'm so broken and so prone to sin over and over? 
And yet we can be assured and we can be confident in knowing that we have access to the Father because we can come before the throne of grace boldly and with confidence because Jesus, the Son of God, came down and drew near to us in all our sin and broken ways. But he sits at the right hand of God, ever interceding on our behalf and knowing and understanding in a way that only he could understand our struggles, our sorrows, our sadness, just the life that we walk through every day. He understands. He was wrapped in human flesh with all the limitations, confinement, weakness, and vulnerability that we experience as humans. But God delights in working through humans in our most weakened and vulnerable and broken states. As Paul, as you know, says, that I might all the more glory in my weakness, that the strength of Christ might be manifested in me. So God delights in working through humans in our broken states. There is none too young or too old, no one too physically broken or wounded emotionally, none with too sinful a past, no one with too little faith, none too unskilled or inexperienced, none are disqualified or beyond the redemptive work of God, for the Creator delights in using the meek, the broken, and the lowly for His purposes and glory. His message throughout the nativity story, throughout the birth of Christ, is so clear. I mean, God chose lowly shepherds to hear the good news first. And they are serenaded by a multitude and a choir of angelic hosts. And in that society, they lived under the crushing oppression of the Romans. They were shepherds. They were among the poorest and most exploited people of their time. And they were inclined to cause trouble. But God chose them to bring the message of the good news. Um, we've shared, I think Father Robert shared, and I want to share again, this, this note that we got from Gabe about where we will find Jesus. And I want to read this, what he had to say. This is so beautiful. He said, if you're looking for Jesus, he is at a makeshift homeless shelter in Mobile next to Lad People Stadium. I've truly never seen anything like it. They are only two months in and have already opened up three others. It's being run by a guy who several months back began living on the streets to minister to the homeless in Mobile. His love for these people is palpable. Jesus dwells with the meek, the lowly, and the humble. When we read in John 1, and I was talking with Taylor earlier, and he said, yeah, you could just read the scripture and that preaches, you know, and really... I could read this and sit down, but, you know, <laughs> I'll have a few things to say. But just let this soak in, and I, I encourage you to, uh, over the holidays, come back and read John 1, and let those words soak into your heart. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then skipping down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's pause for just a moment and really let that sink in.
Isn't it truly incredible to think that the word that was with God and was God and all things were made through him, that same word was in the beginning of all creation, became incarnate in this tiny baby who was completely dependent upon a young, common, simple, and imperfect parents to protect and nurture and care for him. But did the salvation of all creation rest upon the human, imperfect shoulders of Mary and Joseph, or even in the wisdom of their family and elders? No, the divine word of God, even though enfleshed in this tiny baby, carried the creative power to save the world and to change the course of human history. When we are faced with circumstances, struggles, or heartbreaking news, it's often our tendency to tough it out, to lean into our own strength, or to feel overwhelmed by it. But God's lavish grace and the beauty of our nativity story call us to a place of rest where we can lean into the Father and put our trust in the one who's, who is the radiance and exact imprint of his nature the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. It seems that God is very intentional in the way and circumstance in which Jesus came to be with us. Like the Jewish people, most of us, if we're really honest, would look for the long-awaited Messiah, the King of Israel, to arrive in a very different way, on a horse with royal robes and a palace with a great deal of fanfare. Or in today's modern scenario, he might arrive in a private jet surrounded by elite billionaires. And yet we see that the creator's design and intention is very clear and upside down from our world's expectations. Why would the king of the universe come to earth in such a messy, downtrodden, and humble setting and to parents whose reputation were tarnished at best? There are probably several reasons, but I'd like us to look at a couple. We tend to sanitize the nativity scene of Jesus' birth, but as Father Robert shared, it was messy and grimy and chaotic. I think God wanted every human being to know that Jesus, God with us, was not beyond the reach of any person on earth, no matter what their circumstance or status. And I think God wanted to make certain that we would know that Jesus understands and empathizes with everything we go through, the sorrows, the suffering, the doubts, the worries. And here is the light of the world coming into the world, the light of the world coming into the world, the radiance of God revealed in the dark, dreary hovel of this dirty manger that he shares with common farm animals. Once again, God's perfect design and intention shows us that his light can shine brightly in our lives despite and perhaps because of all our imperfections. Hebrews 1 elaborates or enriches our picture of Jesus as the light of the world. In verse 3, we read, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the one who came to be with us. Not just on Christmas Day, not just through the 30-some-odd years of his ministry, but now and always. 
To be honest, it's been a difficult and painful year in ministry for me. I've struggled with physical problems that have been painful and limited my mobility. It's been frustrating because I haven't been able to minister and care and love for people the way I would want to in a very active way. But I know that Jesus has been with me all the way, and he's given me opportunities to love and care for others in different ways than I expected, whether it's through prayer or a phone call or just listening deeply to someone. And I've been on the receiving end of care, where I've learned much more about the grace and power of God. God has given me different ways to minister to others, even if they seem small and insignificant to me. We may view these acts as insignificant, but in God's kingdom, we see how a small divine seed of light and life was nurtured and trained and grew up to save and rescue humankind. So, you know, when we think we're doing something small and insignificant, we need to remember that the light of Christ is shining through us. The love of God is working through us. And it's not us in our broken, fragile state, but it's the divine word of God that has the power to touch and help and nurture and love others. Of course, the Christmas story does not end here in a messy stable of our hearts. Rather, it points to the ultimate reason the Son of God came to earth and walked and lived and walked among us, intimately acquainted with our sorrows and griefs, but always keeping his eyes fixed on Jerusalem and on his journey to the cross, where he would pay the price for all our sins. And our joy and hope isn't fixed upon the gifts we receive or our imperfect and sometimes disappointing relationships or the state of the stock market. But our hope is anchored beyond the veil, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, ever interceding on our behalf. So let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2, speaks of this joy in, in our call to fix our eyes on Jesus. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected, as we will be when he comes, as our hymn echoes. I want to just go back to verse 14 in John. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And in Hebrews, verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now there is a verse to meditate upon, to think about, to let it soak into our hearts. This is the Jesus who came to be with us, who is still with us every day, who dwells within us. We 
Where do we find joy and hope in the midst of all the darkness and evil in the world? We look for the promise of eternal resurrected life, and we await the coming of Jesus again as ruler of all of heaven and earth. Yes, but we also look for the risen Christ here today, the one who has promised to never leave us and is always with us, who dwells with the humble and lowly of heart, who is the light shining out of our hearts in the midst of our darkest hours. The joy of the Lord is our strength. One scripture that has been difficult for me to process over the years, but has become more and more life-giving to me is in Romans 5, where Paul talks about suffering and joy and how they coexist. Romans 5, verse 3. But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The unconditional, relentless, sacrificial love that covers a multitude of sins and heals the wounds of the world. The Creator lavishly pours out this life-giving love without measure upon each of us, no matter what we face today. In closing, I'd like to read a blessing from Kate Bowler. Some of you may know her. She's become one of my favorite authors and podcasters. And she writes, O oh God, we are waiting. We are longing for you, O oh Prince of Peace. Come and reign in our hearts. Settle us in quiet expectancy that as sure as day follows night, you will come. And be for us the wonder the world cannot give, the light that shows us how to see, the wisdom that teaches us how to move with you, how to keep pace with you. And when we are troubled, how to still ourselves in the certainty that you are and ever will be our peace. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. Spirit have mercy. Alleluia, Christ has come and will come again in glory. Amen.